0: lovely um right i am joined by dr han newman han how are you
1: i'm good thank you how
0: are you good not too bad thank you um thank you very much for agreeing to do this you are only the second guest on my podcast which is very exciting Uh, and you're the first one that i've got on specifically to talk about a topic that i was interested in Mm -hmm. so thank you for that cool cool yeah Um, i'm excited to be here thank you yeah it's I mean that, and that's why I did a podcast really it was just purely selfish reasons to try and learn stuff I think some of it will be useful for some people and there'll be episodes that I'll do for the people but first and foremost this is all about me. Um, so today's topic is one that I wanted to chat about because for a few reasons I guess I guess one of them is that it's obviously a relatively contemporary issue so the two things we're going to talk about in terms of participation and uh, sport competition Um one in the it's something i'm interested in because it's completely like it's completely new to me and we'll chat about that later on and i just think like it's it's covered really badly in the media mm-hmm. and there's just so little education particularly for people like myself who have no experience of some of these topics or conversations or issues like i know where i stand in terms of my my own values that i value making people feel better that's part of what my job is Mm -hmm. and i would like to apply this that general feeling to this topic but -hmm. the lack of education that we get on this makes it actually really difficult to do that and to actually help people and so like that's why i wanted to chat to you about this to get your thoughts on some of these topics as an expert and also just to like to teach me things so i guess like as we have this conversation if i use language or terms or whatever that are incorrect or Mm -hmm. would not be used i would like you to call me up on them Um, and you must get this a lot where people say the wrong thing not because for any other reason other than they don't know what the right terms are potentially or the right categories are
1: Mm -hmm. yeah Um, yeah
0: so yeah I wanted to use this to educate myself and other people really
1: yeah yeah sure and I think you know you've, you've made a really key point right from the start that um the way this is has played out in the media in recent years and and the way it's playing out currently in the media um, is, you know, in my view, hugely problematic. Um, You know, reduces what is a very complex and nuanced um, issue and topic, uh, you know, reduces that to to some really quite basic dichotomous um, and divisive um, points. Um, And I, I think there's, you know, a lot that isn't said and isn't isn't out there in those in that in the way that that's presented um the, and, and also that it's just not it doesn't come from a very compassionate place really mm. is what it feels is the you know the way it's all playing out in the media and um you know the mainstream voices that that get amplified in in this is that you know it, the. It all feels, I guess, you know, the way I try and see it is if I was someone who was more removed from this whole debate and issue and topic, however you want to frame it, is like the, the human element has just been taken out of it completely. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like people forget that the people they are talking about within this are humans <laughs> with yeah. feelings and emotions and, you know, uh, who are just trying to navigate life in the same way as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um And you know that yeah I'm sure we'll speak about it more but I I think that's yeah my my perception of of the media representation of it is hugely um, sensationalized uh, reductive in the arguments that are made um, and problematic
0: yeah I completely agree and I think actually if I were to be controversial and cynical I would argue that that sort of um, dehumanization of people is not only something that occurs as a result of these conversations in the way they has, had but I actually think sometimes it's intentional and mm-hmm. I think we see that a lot at the moment with the current political landscape where the strikers are a great example and there are people in the government that try, try and dehumanize those people that want a fair living wage for example and it's a very yeah. common way of trying to turn people against a certain group of people mm-hmm. to mm-hmm make them seem less human. And like, if we were to look at very extreme examples, in the 1940s, we saw exactly that in the Second World War where a large group and political party tried to dehumanise other a, a group of people and said, these people are awful. And obviously LGBT people were part of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I worry that that dehumanisation is intentional rather than just a, a nasty side effect of the conversations
1: yeah absolutely absolutely i think you know the point we have to make is that um the way you know that obviously we're talking about sport and physical activity in relation to this at the moment but this is all part of a much wider discourse um and issue that's that's you know going on for trans and gender gender diverse people you know for many different reasons whether it's legal gender recognition use of spaces, public spaces, yeah, it's, it's part of a much wider, um, well, I think I'd call it a, a moral panic at this point, a moral panic around transgender people, the impact they might have, um, although transgender people have existed for a very long time, Yeah. Uh, you know, we've always been here, um, and, you know, collectively all of that is, you know, but, I guess, you know, the term that gets thrown around is being used as a political football, almost. Mm. Um, and, yeah, sport and physical activity is one part of that, but this is part of a wider, um, you know, what what is a worrying time, I think, for all LGBT plus people, not just yeah. trans and gender diverse people, in terms of some of the noises that are being made uh, from government, the different things we're hearing um, around, you know, whether it's legal gender recognition or whether it's talking about uh, LGBT plus people in schools, there's a lot of negative things being spoken about um, and really worrying things. Um, So yeah, I think it's important to to remember this is caught up in a much wider discourse around LGBT plus people in the UK and around the world at the moment. But um, yeah, sport and physical activity is just one part of that. Mm,
0: Yeah, it's interesting we picked two really important topics but simultaneously completely insignificant like you say in terms of <laughs> if you were to look at like the pecking order of things that you would like for those groups mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't be an immediate priority in terms of these are the things we would actually like people to consider for us rather than sport and physical activity
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i think there's a bit of a you know a bit of a you can look at it in a, in a couple of different ways i think as to in terms of sort of um sort of not reinventing but being quite radical in how we think about gender or or reframe how we think about gender and sex in society then some people might say that sport has the potential to be a leader on that path as you know something that is highly influential in society, lots of people are interested in it, Um, it's probably one of the main institutions that upholds sex segregation and gender segregation um, and that sport could be a leading Play a leading part in in how we rethink sex and gender in society. Um, whereas some people might say it's the reverse that until wider society starts to change, then it's unlikely that sport that those barriers in sport and physical activity are, are going to start to to break down. Um, and and yes, yeah, so you know, like like you said, there'll be there's lots of other areas that I think people may may be likely to to put ahead of inclusion in sport and physical activity in terms of what what LGBT plus people need and, and, and have the right to. Um, but also, you know, from a physical activity perspective in particular, and, and participation in sport, you know, the, the health and mental health benefits and, and the significance of that on on people's lives that I don't think can be underestimated. Um, you know, we know that LGBT plus people and trans and gender diverse people in particular are are much more likely to experience health disparities, whether it's mental health or physical health. And obviously sport and physical activity plays a huge role in that. So I, so I do think it's, you know, as I said before, part of a wider landscape, but an important part of that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you can't separate sport and politics. And people always say, because I know we're both football fans, and you'll get football fans every week say, oh, let's keep politics out of football, but only when it's a topic that maybe they don't agree with. So whether it is... <laughs> Like rainbow armbands, for example, or Marcus Rashford trying to feed children and Mm. things like that. Oh, let's keep politics out of out of football. But then, if it's wearing a poppy on the shirt, we should absolutely be allowed to do that. And he's discussing the FIFA white letters, so and that's political. Sports always been political. Like if again, if we look back to the sort of 30s and 40s with the Olympics and Berlin and things like that, the fact that people vie and spend billions on trying to get the Olympics in their city to Mm. attract people to their country that's political the recent world cup in qatar was incredibly political for lots of different reasons so yeah sport and politics are intertwined and that's that's the way it is i think one thing to go back to what you said earlier is that this conversation is always had from a place of next to no compassion so Mm -hmm. like obviously the idea of my podcast that i i like to think is to explore the nuance of topics and Mm -hmm. i imagine that throughout the course of all the things that we talk about there'll be things that we don't necessarily agree on and that is absolutely fine that's the whole point of conversations like this but it's to approach it in a way that's non-judgmental and compassionate towards the other person and to Mm -hmm. acknowledge your own biases because with your experience you're going to have some bias and as am i through my Mm -hmm. own experience or lack of in this scenario and that that's what these conversations are about i think Mm -hmm. um so i guess first of all do you want to talk about what your sort of Professional credentials are for this conversation. Maybe your personal credentials as well to talk about this topic.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I guess on a on a personal note, um, I am non-binary, so I'm part of the trans and gender diverse uh, population. Um, I have played and competed in sports. You know, not to any serious level or anything, but you know, on a much more uh, recreational level for as long as I can remember. Played cricket for. 15, 16 years, um, got involved in strength sports and and was competing in in strong women, strong man, powerlifting uh, events. Um, So from a personal perspective, uh, my own journey, I guess, in in coming to the realisation of my own gender identity, um, obviously conflicted with my own um, sporting participation so from a personal perspective that's you know my my investment in it uh, from a professional perspective I, I work in sports psychology and sociology um, I work in universities um, doing research in this area also in an applied space um, I work generally in exercise psychology in helping people to become more active or change their relationship with physical activity and exercise. But I guess, again, I have a specific interest in in how we help LGBTQ plus people to do that. Um, so a lot of my research in academia has focused on gender in sport. Uh, some of that's about women's involvement in sport and some of it is is specifically around trans and gender diverse participation in sport physical activity. Um, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about that a little bit more, but that's, yeah, that's a bit about I guess the background
0: and the approach I'm taking to this. Cool. So, yeah, I personally believe that you have the relevant expertise and knowledge to have these conversations, I guess. So the first topic we're going to talk about was sort of transgender sport and competition. Um, Mm. We must caveat this, that we're going to talk about elite sport, but you're a Spurs fan. So you're only like (laughs) relatively (laughs) able to talk about elite sport. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, that. Another
0: difficult season for you'll be worse when United take Harry Kane at the end of the season. We we'll, <laughs> won't we'll get into that. Um, so I guess the first question I had around sport and competition was, and I've you sent me some reading material that you've authored on uh, previously that I've read. Is what are your thoughts on like the categorization or segregation in sport generally? So maybe outside of the conversation about gender, like do you believe there has to be some form of categorization or segregation?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a really interesting question to come up against first, actually, because I always think that uh, most of the conversations I have around this go in the opposite direction of, uh, you know, starting from a place of talking about categorising based on sex and gender to, at the end of it, questioning how we uh, categorise people in sport at all and, and, you know, more radical thinking around how we transform that and how we might look to change that going forward. So to start from a place of how, you know, whether we categorise people in sport and how we do that, uh, it kind of flips the conversation on its head in a good in a good way, I think. Um, and I think one of the points I, I wanted to make in this was that for me, the, the issue of gender diversity in sport raises so many bigger questions around um, sports. So I think if we think about what is the uh, headlines of the debate around this at the moment in the mainstream media, it's around two points of fairness in sport and risk of physical safety. Mm-hmm. And so largely in this context, this relates to uh, transgender women taking part in, in women's sport and what risks there might be or not be to fairness and and physical safety. So that's you know that's the the framing of this. Um and I think you know, I'm sure we're speaking a bit about a bit more about that and how there's sort of you know thoughts on those two things and, and the science that may or may not be there at the moment to, to think about that. Um, But I guess my my perspective on it is that it's to use a really basic analogy it feels like gender diversity uh is gender diversity in sport is like trying to or the approach we're currently taking to it widely is trying to fit square pegs into round holes like we've we've decided that these are the categories that people have to fit into in sport that's been there for a very long time Um, and we need to continue to try and find ways to put people in one or the other, rather than reassessing, are these categories the right categories to be to be trying to do that to? Have we got enough categories? Are they the right categories? We're taking the approach of there are these two categories. We just need to make find the best way of making people fit in them, and and that I think can only take us so far in all of this. To, to me, it's you know, and, and, and my perspective on it that that's not really working because we just keep going back and forth on the same points all the time Um, and you know if we think back to where sex segregation in sport came from um, you know I think I'm right in saying that right at the very beginning it was more about keeping women out of men's sport and keeping women in in their place in sport so it wasn't necessarily about gender diverse and trans people to start with it was more about sport is a male a a male thing and we're going to keep women in in this sort of separated part of sport Mm -hmm. and limit their participation in sport. Uh, Which is interesting when you think that most of the conversation now is around how trans people might, um, trans people participating in sport might be a threat to women's participation. It's it's interesting when you think about where where these things have come from. Um, So I guess my I've gone a long roundabout way, <laughs> but I think uh, you know. I, I think we should be thinking more widely about how we how mm. we um, segregate people in sport. What criteria categories we use to do that? What does fairness mean in sport? Is it possible to have a level playing a level playing field in in sport? What are all the other things we should be taking into consideration if we are trying to achieve that? Um, right. You know that aren't based around gender and sex for for Mm. a start um you know all all the other things that you know when you hear people talking about particular athletes and their sort of how they're made for a particular sport whether it's their you know michael phelps is the big one that, that comes up the way people talk about michael phelps and him being sort of a you know his wingspan his his arm length whatever you know being a natural swimmer when you think about on a different note sort of the the backgrounds that people come from, the opportunities they've had to access sporting facilities and coaching and all of that kind of stuff. Is sport ever a level playing field? Mm. What does that really mean? How do we, can we even strive to achieve that even if we think it is the right thing to to strive for? Um, and that conversation for me is far wider than just based on gender and sex really. Mm.
0: That is interesting. And I I guess what you've just said there about the sort of the classic men versus women sex segregation that we've had.
1: Mm.
0: I think if people probably looked at what were the attitudes towards women when that was first determined, Mm. they'd they'd probably be disgusted. In Mm. modern society, it'd be abhorrent the way that women weren't allowed to play sport. They were staying in the kitchen and men were the only ones. Women could go and watch and applaud, but they can't compete. Yeah. And I wonder whether in 100 years from now, we would look at this conversation in exactly the same way. I can't believe we treated people like that. Like, you'd hope so. But I think it is really interesting. Like, I think there's good examples at the moment of where, like you said, it's not a level playing field in all things. One that springs to mind for me is uh, ACL research in women. So Mm -hmm. we know there's a lot of... Uh, ACL injuries in women compared to men and that's been put down to changes in hormones and estrogen and things like that and that may play a part in it but there's also this conversation of a lot of women weren't given the opportunity to do multi-sport when they were younger they don't have the same access to S&C and physio and things like that that uh, mm. like male academies would have had so again all of these topics are incredibly nuanced but coming mm. back to your original point I guess is that if we try and fit people into the current categories, that's immediately not inclusive. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of the conversations that we have at the moment around some of the high profile cases with certain athletes are struggling to try and put people into pre-existing categories rather than thinking, like you said, more laterally and think, well, do the categories fit? Do we need to change the categories or introduce more categories or completely change the way that we categorize full stop? Mm -hmm. And I think it might end up being a different solution for different sports or for different people, potentially, which we'll come on to later on. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess coming back to something that when I was doing the reading on this, I found really interesting was that we know how important sport is for identity. Mm -hmm. And this is something having worked with athletes that I know, whether that is for participation and also for being a fan of sport as well i know you're a member of is it the proud lily whites the spurs lgbtq plus group and i know other clubs have similar groups don't they yeah they do but i don't i don't even think people realize how different the fan experience must be for for that community
1: Mm, yeah and i I think it's you know it's since i've been involved with that group I, i think i've you know obviously you know, social media um, is, is where a lot of these things play out. And I uh, I don't think I realised how much, not opposition, but disagreement, I guess, there was with those groups existing and, and how much sort of perhaps um, denial of, of the rest of the fan base, that there is an issue with that. And the fact that the fan experience is different um, it isn't, always inclusive there's still a lot of problematic things chanted from the stands that Mm -hmm. could make someone feel really uncomfortable um and i think you know i think this links into to you know the the rest of the topic that we're talking about in that, one of my biggest frustrations and the things that makes me really angry is how much people just deny that that's your experience like try to invalidate Mm -hmm. people's feelings and you know think that they must know better that oh no it's just a song you can brush it off or it's just a comment it does doesn't mean anything and 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 i think yeah i think there's a lot of different contexts in sport whether it's as a participant as a competitor or whether it's as a fan that there is still a lot of a lot lot of change that needs to be made and, and a lot of things that are not inclusive um can make the experience really difficult for people and, and ultimately can cause conflict. You know, you spoke about identity. It can cause conflict in, in people's identity of, well, you know, I I am a football fan, but I don't feel welcome at football or, you know, and, and how you reconcile those things. Um, and I think coming back to your, your point earlier about, you know, starting from a place of exclusion, I think, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the way that we approach um, Trans and gender diverse inclusion in sport at the moment is not to start from a place of inclusion, but to start from saying, well, these people are the problem. And how do we these problems into what we do rather than saying is the way we do things a problem? And do we need to change it to be able to accommodate the full range of human existence? Ultimately, you know, we know that. you know, through trans and gender diverse people's existence, through intersex people's existence, we know that it's not as clear It's not as clear cut as we have men and we have women and, and that's it. Mm. Um, but yet, we almost pretend that that's still the case in, in, in sports, probably the most guilty of that, of, okay, well, these people are the problem, they don't fit our system. Maybe our system's the problem, maybe we need to change that to fit everyone in in some
0: way yeah because i guess there are a few high, pro- high profile cases that come to mind so there's sort of there's leah thomas the swimmer um uh, yeah. hubbard the lifter and emily bridges i think the cyclist yeah and the three that i can think of that always come to mind um, mm. in terms of inclusion in sport and mm-hmm. i guess the first thing that i always think is regardless of where you stand on this conversation we're having in terms of where do we categorize whether we allow people to compete in sport is it's not that individual's fault for wanting to compete and the amount of hate that they get as individuals from Mm. other competitors on social media and from other people on social media. It honestly baffles me that Mm. how you can have a go at an individual for something they clearly have no control over other than I would like to be able to do this thing that everyone else is allowed to do. Mm. It's just, it's a really strange way of looking at it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: As as competing, absolutely. which a lot of people don't, if we're realistic about it, a lot of people don't want these people competing in their uh, group, in their category, in their sport. Mm-hmm. You can still hold that view and still be completely, like, tr- again, treat that individual like a person and understand well it's not their fault that they just want to play sport.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the Laurel Hubbard case always really sticks out for me just because I remember following it really closely at the time. Um obviously like being a strength sport example as as well and and that's Mm. my sport um so yeah I just think I I I couldn't quite and I still can't really wrap my head around why so much hate is directed towards a person who is ultimately playing by the rules (laughs) like the 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 rules allow her to be there Uh, you know there's no cheating involved there's nothing you know, and and you can disagree with what the ruling is, yep. and make your case for that. Um, but the personal attacks on her, for me, you know, my 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 perspective, my instinct on it is to think that you know the the fairness debate can often be used uh, as a you know as a smokescreen as to to cover what ultimately is transphobia or. Mm. You know, <laughs> I just have negative perceptions towards this person and people like this person but I'm going to cover that with the issue of, of fairness and, and you know because a lot of the attacks were just too personal for it to just mm. be about fairness in, in sport you know for someone who ultimately hadn't done anything wrong, and, mm. you know, was you know a competitor in the sport, wanted to continue competing in the sport. competed in a way that was perfectly within the rules yet came under such personal attack for it sometimes i i can't help but feel that the conversations around fairness get sort of co-opted by people who you know that's not their main motive there's other stuff going on under there but it's all done under the guise of that's not fair Um, yeah i've always
0: thought that i think there's a lot of experts in endocrinology who know nothing about it but are happy to wave the sort of testosterone flag as a mm. way to post-rationalize what is probably just their own discomfort with those topics or like you said even yeah. extending as far as phobia
1: mm. and mm.
0: I, I don't think there's anything more to it than that like yeah. i would almost be more comfortable with someone saying it doesn't really sit that well with me but i haven't got any no. other reasons for it rather than trying to say some bullshit about testosterone or physiological advantage when they don't understand those things just say yeah. This is not something I've ever encountered before. It disrupts sport for me, which I love. That makes me feel uncomfortable.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would much rather, uh, you know, see that sort of approach and have conversations like that than, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think another one of the the big problems at the moment in how this is all represented is uh, the existing science being oversimplified, but Mm -hmm. also people claiming to, Know the science, even you know. Well, it's just basic biology. You hear that a lot. It's just basic biology. You have men, you have women. Men are stronger than women, so that's it. um But also, but you know, not even just from a general public perspective, as in sports fans and, and, and competitors, but you know, professionals who who you know may jump in on on this debate as well, and and you know, because we know that. I guess it comes down to again to a wider debate of like the objectivity of science and numbers and and what they mean and you know for me that there's still scope within that to cherry pick numbers to over exaggerate claims of of certain numbers Mm -hmm. and I'm not a physiologist I come at this from a, a social scientist perspective I wouldn't claim to know the physiology literature inside and out but my understanding of it from colleagues is that we're a lot, um, the literature is much more in its infancy than than that wider debate would make you yeah. believe. Um, you know, the way it's framed, the way it's spoken about, you would think that we have years and years of extensive literature proving why trans women shouldn't compete in, in women's sport, because um, that's, you know, that is the, the, the crux of the argument. But actually, the, the literature is, is very small and and disparate at the moment and there's not um there's not much that focuses specifically on trans women um and the physiology of transitioning through hormone treatment and stuff like that and what impacts that has on strength and power in sport but when you read about it in the media or on social media you would think that that science is there and undisputable and you know it's it's just there but it's 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 not necessarily is my understanding of it and
0: you'll have read more of it than I have but I just think like having degrees in science knowing how research design works there are so many variables there that are incredibly difficult to control for as part Uh of some sort of uh, controlled trial even like Uh off the top of my head you can think of like sort of age what people were doing before um, medical transition, like all of these things, like their training gauge, training gauge before and afterwards,
1: mm-hmm.
0: there are so many different physiological things you would have to control for that mm-hmm. we are probably realistically decades away from ever having something close to a a, a reasonable answer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Probably a good century away, I would say, from having yeah. a good answer on if A is the case, then B is the physical result of that. I just don't think we're anywhere close to to that so to to hang your hat on what we've got at the moment i think is very premature
1: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i agree because you know even if you had one study um looking at the longitudinal effects of uh hormone treatment estrogen estrogen treatment um and say looked at 10 athletes, 10 trans women athletes over two, three years, for example, even just one study like that, as you say, the amount of variables that those 10 athletes that that come into play for those 10 athletes that you might not be able to control for, even that one study is going to take years to come to to light, but still, you know, starts to give an indication, but still doesn't answer the question. And, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we are... We are a long way, I think, from from having an evidence base that we can really go to and say, okay, well, you know, what are the, what what is the closest thing we can get to a to a reasonable answer on this that isn't sort of just us cherry picking the data that we want to tell the story that we want it to really, whether yeah. that's whether that's for your your for inclusion of trans women in women's sport or you're not, you, you, yeah. you cherry pick either way, yeah. Um, yeah. and you can over exaggerate certain stats either way you know by making them seem more conclusive than they are
0: yeah and i guess that's difficult is that we can have all of this data and then scrutinize it and think well actually some of it's going to be very difficult to blind the collection of the data so the people involved are going to have a bias either way Um, Mm -hmm. some results may be more publishable than other results and therefore Mm -hmm. or uh, a researcher may be more inclined to lean towards that or display their findings in a way that would highlight one argument over another and therefore get published. There are all of the, and these are issues with science generally, but Mm. particularly in this area of science, I think it's a, it would be very easy to find, to end up with data that may not necessarily be replicable or valid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, we're the the narrative that plays out is that we're in such a rush to come to the Mm. answer that, you know, it's it's almost as if it's painted out that we're seeking for the universal right answer now and that that yeah. needs to come now. Do trans women, are trans women included in women's sport? Yes or no? Go. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not, it's just not, it's impossible. It's impossible yeah. to, to, to come to that right now. And, and I think for me, a, a good starting point in all this would be to introduce some compassion, introduce, you know, some you know, work on the principles of of inclusion, uh, as opposed to exclusion and then work back from there rather than working from exclusion. Um, and, and just start to question some of the assumptions that lie so deeply around how sport has to be segregated, how it is segregated, uh, what ways that might be, as you said at the start, might how that might be different for different sports and you know what you know what are the key physical attributes in each sport and how do they differ and um you know the fairness and physical safety debates are going to be different across different sports based on what they are and what they look like Um, and so come you know this idea of coming to this sort of universal yes or no um which ultimately if that is the route that we're going down then I think it's always going to be no, because there's there's not going to be enough to say otherwise. And, and that would be going against people's uh, ingrained beliefs around, you know, how sport should be segregated. Then, yeah, I think that's, you know, it's always going to lead to exclusion if if that's if that's the route that we're going down.
0: Yeah. So I, I guess that goes back to what we said at the start in that it's just from a place of uh, this rush to get that data is... To, to answer a question that's probably not the right question in the first place. So actually, mm-hmm. if we if we addressed the categories, not only would we ask better questions, but also it's a much quicker solution than trying to shoehorn people into, should you be playing this sport with these people or not? It yeah. That doesn't make sense. I guess if we, so if we look at what are the challenges to that inclusion in sport that people have, and you've spoken mm-hmm. to quite a few of these, and they are mostly around physiological differences Um, And like you said, risk of safety and maybe fairness to an extent. I I always think fairness is brought up less frequently because it's maybe not as persuasive an argument as these people are going to get hurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which obviously, again, is probably sport dependent. Mm. So, because you mentioned that it's going to be different for different sports. In your mind, what would those different sports be and how would it be different?
1: So I guess I think there's, you know, there's... Obviously, you've got in terms of thinking about that uh, physical safety element. I think that's going to be uh, more of a consideration for some sports than others. Uh, obviously, contact sports, combat yep. sports, um, and I guess you know there's a there's a lot to think through in that as to what the the safety implications may or may not be. Uh, I think some of that comes back to the data that we don't have around strength differences, power differences, stuff like that that we just don't really know the answer to in a, in a lot of cases. Um, I think it also relates to the different ways that those sports are already categorised in terms of weight categories and, and things like that, and other categories that are used to um, to to counter some of some of those potential differences in in. People that are competing within them that are completely different to, to sex and gender. Um, I also think there's, you know, because there's an element of going down the sort of uh, performance and ability based categories, that kind of stuff. So, so I guess you've got you've got two different ways of thinking about it. You've got sort of the, the size and weight and and all of those type categories that that come in in some sports like Boxing, for example, martial arts, weight categories, all of that, Um, and then you've got performance-based categories. So, um, you know, I'm thinking in the context of, say, strength sports, it's quite easy to to use ability-based categories because you can say, okay, well, can you lift that weight? Yes or no? Okay, yes, you can. You, you know, you've got the ability to be in that category. But so that's not so easily transferable to other sports such as football where we could debate all day who's the better player and yeah. not get anywhere um, so how you define people in ability-based categories is difficult too yeah. um, and, and again I think you know there's lots of different points that I can make about different sports but I think again it comes down to me for me to thinking more broadly about all the different um, all the different attributes of someone that, that could go into that categorization because I think the conversation is so largely skewed around testosterone. Yeah, is testosterone the be all and end all, probably, yeah. probably not. Uh, probably not like the, the you know, the, the, the levels of testosterone that are acceptable to be in a women's category or not be in a women's category. I mean, again, my understanding of of the, of the science and the physiology is that we we don't really have a lot to back that up either. Yeah. That that's sort of a an arbitrary line drawn in the sand yeah. based on certain athletes that have already been tested. You know, think of thinking of the Castor Semenya yeah. um, stuff and, and Duty Chand, um, and you know what their testosterone levels were. So are we drawing a line where their to- testosterone levels are? Yeah. To or that you know we, we get what what some people might want out of that so i think i think again it's it's as is my thought on most of this it's about thinking more actually thinking more broadly widening the uh the things the factors that we think about that that should go into defining what these categories look like and what these categories are and that those things are going to be likely to be very varied across different sports because all sports are so varied and you know what's important for one sport or what's highly relevant in one sport is not necessarily going to be as relevant in another sport Um, and I think the more that we can start to break that down and start thinking about that as opposed to just thinking about the same things over and over across all sports then the more chance we've got of coming to something that's more appropriate for each, for each individual
0: sport. Yeah, I think that's interesting in that the examples that I mentioned earlier were cycling, lifting and swimming, which are all, obviously they've all got a skill element. I'm not going to take that away from them, but they're very physio- physiology-based, I would say. <laughs> and they're not, when I think of skill sports, I do think of the sort of team sports where there's a, a physical element, but there's, I could run all day, but if I'm shit at football, I'm shit at football, nothing changes yeah. Yeah. I think they're much more difficult conversations to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know whether I think this partly because of how complex it is trying to assess someone's ability in that sport, or whether I just, I really can't imagine changing the current landscape of football, for example.
1: Mm-hmm. So I,
0: I don't know in my mind whether it is, it's incredibly difficult to, like you said, like two players we could argue about all day, or is it, I can't imagine the Premier League being, very different to what it is right now I'm not sure Mm -hmm. which one of those it is I wanted to talk about because obviously you did Limitless when did that start
1: 2018 2018 yeah we did the first one
0: yeah so talk a little bit about that because I think that will provide some nice context for conversations Mm -hmm. about different sports maybe
1: yeah so so I guess that was uh that was born out of my own um journey and my own sort of not really knowing where I should compete or wanted to compete or, you know, how I could carry on in the sport in a competitive way. And you know, I was speaking to so Tim, who was my coach at Grindhouse in in Burton, um, and just saying, don't, I don't really know where to compete. Like there's not much out there that would be applicable for me. And he just said, well, why don't we do something here? And that's, that's how it sort of became a thing. And ultimately we went down the route of having three ability-based categories that anyone of any sex or gender could enter so level one these are the weights you have to lift they're the lightest weights level two these are the weights you have to lift they've got a bit heavier level three heaviest uh category these are the weights you have to lift so based on your lifting ability pick the one that best suits you And, and anybody of any gender can enter any of the three levels um so that was the Uh, model we took um, to be inclusive of anyone regardless of sex or gender Um, and I guess you know the self-selection of categories is pretty much in line with the rest of the sport at that level and sort of you know novice strongman competitions, novice strongwoman competitions you self-declare yourself as a novice and you know you just there's an element of trust that people are going to be honest about that. Um, and that's, that's what we started running. So we've held it four times now. The first one only had eight competitors. We've had a, around the 30 to 35 mark, uh, for the last few years. Um, majority, uh, cisgender participants. So people who aren't trans or gender diverse, people whose gender aligns with, with the sex they were assigned at birth. Um, but with gender diverse people in there as well um and i think for me like first my, my first and foremost like priority is that that is an inclusive space it gives people an option to compete if they want to uh, who might otherwise be excluded from other competitions but also for me it's about thinking okay well how do we start to redefine these categories if we don't try things will we ever know if they work like can we just start to be a little bit experimental in this and on some small level and and just start to to try some of these things that are often just shot down as, oh, no, that wouldn't work, that wouldn't work, you know, until we sort of try things and, and test things, will we ever know if these yeah. things work? So, you know, part of it's about that for me, but ultimately it's, it's about having options for people who are excluded elsewhere. And I think coming back to the point you made around, you know, is it about just not being able to envisage the Premier League looking differently in in the future, I think one of the things that I find can, can play out in these conversations is, is, yes, sports always look this way, so people can't get their head around it looking any different, but I don't think anyone's sort of, you know, campaigning for sports to just completely change overnight and look mm. completely different from tomorrow onwards, but we can expand the amount of opportunities for trans and gender yeah. diverse people without having any impact on the sport that already exists but we can create spaces and opportunities where people can compete and now from a uh, from an inclusion perspective that might not be the the overall final aim because that might then still be othering those people from mainstream sport but it's a start for people who are you know currently excluded from competing in their sport in in any way whatsoever to have, some form of opportunities popping up around the country that people can get involved in and it's okay to, to be involved in and there's not going to be any controversy around it um so i think that's really important as well as to to think about you know, it doesn't mean that sport's going to change overnight and this is going to be a gradual process but you know we with all the complicated questions and debates that we don't have answers for we can take that out of the equation almost completely and say okay we can still put on these inclusive opportunities and if there are some people who are not comfortable in taking part in those then they don't have to but these yeah. things can still exist as long as they're you know run well and and you know everything's okay then those those opportunities can still exist before the rest of the sport has made <laughs> any change I guess
0: yeah no that makes complete sense and I think what was really interesting was reading the article that you wrote about it and because you did like sort of semi-structured interviews didn't you with people there Mm. and two of the two of the comments that really resonated with me is that um one guy said i've not had the exposure to it as a white average male raised by mum and dad so there is that blind Mm. acceptance which i can completely relate to like that's just i was brought up like that and that was how football was and like and when you're like that even like women's football being so prominent is new Mm. and like Mm. that's really exciting I love it because it means it's like twice as much sport for me to watch. So I could now name like a full team in the women's football, women's rugby and women's cricket mm-hmm. and have debates over selection and stuff. And I enjoy that because there's twice as much going on. But there yeah. was that, like I said to you at the start, really, having never experienced or been educated on it, it it's difficult to have these conversations without knowing anything about it. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes people's inability to have or be open to these conversations is born from just a lack of knowledge and a fear mm-hmm. of saying something wrong maybe or looking mm-hmm. stupid or both which mm-hmm. is the case for a lot of conversations like people won't chat about things that they don't know about because they're uncomfortable with i got like a bit of a twat because i don't know anything about it and people don't like that um yeah. and then the other thing that someone said was um like they sort of on the spot came up with loads of solutions and then said no actually that's bullshit i don't really know to be honest and i think a lot of people feel like that as well i know mm-hmm. i do like uh, there, there are, at the moment there are more questions than there are answers yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think Limitless is a great example of that so the two big questions I had on the back of it and they're in no way meant to take away from what Limitless achieved because I think even if you ran Limitless and it allowed a small inclusive space in one sport for people to take part, that's enough, Like it doesn't need mm-hmm. to be more than that but I guess the two questions are, because it's a relatively small regional event in a relatively small sport as well, how do you see it playing out on a bigger mm. bigger scale and what those changes would look like? And I guess the other thing is that, in my mind, lifting is probably the easiest sport to categorise in terms of yeah. ability or one of. Yeah. So, again, the two things we spoke about for this whole time is, how do you make it bigger? What happens on the bigger sporting landscape and then what happens for the more complex sports so Mm -hmm. I guess my question in a very roundabout way is do you have certain in your opinion for these sports these are the answers for these sports I would like to go this way or do you not have that
1: Uh, honestly I I don't think I have that I think Mm -hmm. I have I think as as I said before really that I that I came at limitless from identifying that there was a need for something where people could compete, uh, providing a space to do that. And that being sort of first and foremost, the ultimate priority, uh, but also an opportunity to uh, at least to get people thinking about how things might be done differently in certain cases. And I think at this point for me, the the next stage of progression in that is that more of those opportunities exist around the country so they're more accessible for uh more people because you know it is a small sport so if you're thinking about a minority of people who need that space within what's already a small population then it's i think it's unlikely that it's going to suddenly become like the hub of all trans and gender diverse sport participation in the country although you could argue that sports like roller derby who that's been known as a as a very uh, LGBT plus inclusive space for a long time that, you know, people who are perhaps less like wedded to a sport already may then become gravitated towards sports mm-hmm. that have, a, you know, an inclusive ethos uh, about them as opposed to someone who's already engaged in a sport and then looking for inclusive opportunities. Yep. Um, but I think for me, for me at the, the moment, the, 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 the progression on that is more opportunities. That are taking up a more inclusive model a more inclusive stance, um, and providing those opportunities for more people, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am aware that that uh, there's a gym in Scotland uh, that contacted me on Instagram. I think they're called Uplifted, who are um, running a competition this year in a similar structure to Limitless. So they've adopted that ability-based uh, model for strength sport, and and are going to run that. So, so to me, that's great. That's another. Um, Another inclusive competition, you know, I, I'm not, there may be others out there that have happened. It's yeah. hard to know exactly what's going on, but they're certainly not common to, to mm-hmm. my knowledge. And um, so, you know, to have one in England, the one in Scotland and maybe a couple of others that are going on around the country that I don't know about, then that's, you know, that provides more spaces, that provides more opportunities. In the longer term, in, in the bigger sense, I think, like, like you said, strength sports is an easy one, an easier one to categorize in that way. And therefore I do lean towards feeling like this could be a model that could become much more utilized um, across the sport to, you know, a recreational level, but also even potentially at at higher levels. Because I think ultimately all all the debates around, you know biological advantage and all that kind of stuff one of the messages they do send is that women will never be stronger than men and that there are no women out there that can be stronger than men and now okay you know men cisgender men will have a a natural level of testosterone that's that's higher than the most cisgender women but if they don't you know, if they're not training, they're not using that, then they're not going to be stronger than the women yeah. that I know, oh, lots so. of women
0: stronger than me, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, you know, so, so for me, as as well as this, you know, and I, and I do understand the concerns around uh, protecting women's sport, but if you flip it on its head, I also think, what about the opportunities for women in sport, yeah. to, um, you know, that don't depend just on being segregated as this smaller, weaker portion of the... Mm. population who couldn't possibly uh you know compete with the men because you know they're never going to be as strong as that that actually there's some opportunity there as well as you know as well as there. there's some concern and you know some need for for protection that actually that could provide opportunities for for women as well as trans transgender diverse people to um to widen the spaces that the people and sort of push those upper limits of what people perceive as as possible um, yeah. because i think that's you know i think coming at it from a different lens in strengthable that's something i'm very aware of is still that sort of narrative okay of like women can be strong but only to a certain like there's yeah. a glass ceiling of acceptance on that and actually if we created spaces where women could challenge men in some instances that we're pushing that glass ceiling of what's of what's deemed possible for women in sport as well as trans transgender trans diverse people. So mm. I think within strength sport, there is scope for that kind of format to be used more. I don't really know what what that looks like in whether, you know, there's still a combination of um, ability based categories and sex segregated categories and different competitions. I don't know. I don't know how I see that going eventually, but I think there's scope for expansion within strength sports and other sports where categorization on that basis might be relatively straightforward
0: yeah and that that last point you made is interesting because there are already examples in sport and in lifting where there are multiple categories so if you get to a certain level say british in terms of strongman strongwoman type sport you're you'll have a weight category but also you'll have lifts that you have to have made to be they're competing so actually yeah. that idea of multiple categories is not new or uncommon or <laughs> unfair. um i do think sports will and i do think it'll be a gradual shift i don't think it'll be yeah. like an overnight thing because people That's always right. like, i can't imagine this in sport but they like the thing i always think of is like in football the money in football yeah. Think think about 30 years 30 odd years ago was probably like the first million pound player Mm-hmm. Went, oh, it's ridiculous money. And now Chelsea sure. today, oh, yes, they bought someone for 107 million who's played less than mm-hmm. 10 times for his country. And mm-hmm. you well, actually 30 years ago. So you said this player's going to be 100 million people. were like, Yeah, right. Then like clubs weren't worth that. Things yeah. move and things will move. So Absolutely. we spoke a lot about that one particular method for inclusivity in terms of maybe like based on ability rather than any other segregation. What do you think... Are the other ways to sort of wrap up that we might encourage inclusion or that it could work? Do you see there being sex segregation but with an additional group? Because I know I remember reading one of the things you sent me in terms of it sort of referenced the Paralympics in terms of we're actually okay with having mm-hmm. other completely different competitions and different categories. Do you see it going that way? Do you think there'll be mixed sport like we're seeing like volleyball or tennis? Do you think they're mm-hmm. both good options or not good options?
1: Mm-hmm i i think i think the sort of third category basis is is complicated so the introduction of of a third category um because i think if you're keeping a gendered model and you have men's and women's categories and you have a third category for people who don't uh you know don't don't see themselves as a man don't see themselves as a woman fall somewhere between then that can work quite well for some people in those cases. I think the danger with that is it almost just becoming a dumping ground for people who don't fit within in, mm-hmm. in the other two categories in the way that that institution would like them to. For example, so so people who, uh, you know, so a trans woman, a trans man, very much uh, identify as a woman or a man, but sort of being othered into another category. Right um so i think there's there's complications with it i think it you know arguably can be a positive step in the current climate where blanket exclusion is is you know becoming increasingly a thing actually more and more organizations are introducing blanket bans on on particularly trans women's participation that it's an option it's not necessarily the perfect option Can be an option but i also feel that it can be problematic in that it's just okay well, we're just going to other these people there yeah they're the problem um we can't adapt what we do so we're just going to stick them in another category and call it inclusion like that's mm. that's my that's my concern with yeah. that it's um, like a
0: near miss for inclusion like we're including yeah. you but we're not really like you can yeah. play but just not with everyone else
1: yeah and you should be grateful that you have a space yeah um and you know it's it's still segregating in mm. you know and and othering in some way and and you know, I think as as I said before you know, the the whole way that we approach this is in labelling trans and gender diverse people as the problem and and yeah. um, that's really not a good place to to start mm. from for for any population or any group of people um, so I think yeah I think there's there's some potential for that, and I think it's not always a bad step, but with caution, uh, I yeah. approach that sort of thing with caution. And 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 I guess when I've been asked to to comment on people's thoughts around that before, if I've spoken to certain organisations who might have been thinking about going down that route, then you know, I I my approach is to want to get some more information from them as to what what they really what they envisage that category being. Is it for non-binary people and other people who don't um, who wouldn't rather be competing? in a men's or women's category? Or is it just a a bit of a cop-out of, well, let's just throw everyone um, who doesn't fit into our nice, neat little boxes in there, and they can go play somewhere else? Um, And so that's that's my caution with that. Mm I think, yeah, I I think generally, I I think that there needs to be a, a range of different solutions in some cases it will be appropriate to have mixed sports, in some cases it might not be for various different reasons, Um, multiple categories like we said, I think you know this sort of, the danger of sort of pursuing one one solution for for everything is is that ultimately we're never going to find a solution that works for everything so maybe we should be just looking to expand and diversify in, in different ways that that give more options and more possibilities and and you know inclusive in different ways as appropriate and relevant for different contexts and different sports and and yeah that instead of trying to search for one universal this is the answer because i don't think we'll ever come to that but we're also if, even if we are we're a very very long way off it what can we do in the meantime to make things more inclusive. And that's to have lots of different options for how that looks, I think.
0: Yeah, no, that makes complete sense because I think the third category idea was the most, felt the most intuitive to me. Mm. And it felt very, it felt like a very very immediate solution. At least like you said in the short term in that these people want to participate. I want them to participate. What would that look like? Well, we've already got this example of a third Mm. group to participate in a way that they wouldn't conventionally, that's great. Let them do that. But mm-hmm. like you said, any, any solution is going to have challenges and difficulties because I don't personally think the uh, like assessment or categorization based on ability will work in a lot of sports.
1: No, I do think no,
0: it's so. very objective sports of mm-hmm. time or weightlifting and things like that mm-hmm. that will work. Yeah. But, yeah, not necessarily for team sports, for example. It's going to be really difficult.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you then, you then open it up to um... – sort of subjective biases and you know abuse of whoever's selecting those teams based on ability level and all of that, that actually the groups that are uh, you know, most discriminated against and, and excluded remain excluded anyway, but because of the, you know, the subjective nature of that selection process. Um, you know, so thinking about women in men's team sport, you could see that there'd be a likelihood that perception perceptions of women in men's team sport would lead to women being more likely to be left out in those ability-based conversations for example so i think in sports where there's more of a uh, where you can pin more of an objective measure to can you lift that or not for example then it has more chance of being a viable model but i, I don't necessarily think it's the right path to go down for for every sport mm-hmm. Cool.
0: well so that was the very long first part of this conversation <laughs> um, we wanted to cover I, I guess it all comes down to inclusion and the-